Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Unleashed, the fastest hour on the internet, I promise. Uh, in today's episode, we're discussing how most businesses are setting, setting themselves up to be average without even realizing it, and how there's an empirically proven set of practices called positive leadership that can help any company move past ordinary success to achieve spectacular results. It's a four-step process, and the best news is that anyone can do it. Anyone can learn how to do this, and that's really what we're going to talk about today. I'm your host, Jeff Tetz, the CEO of Results, where we believe poor execution is the number one reason businesses underachieve. We partner with your management team to help you unlock the hidden potential that exists inside your business. And I want to also say a special thank you to our show sponsor today, David Applin Group. They're a full-service recruiting firm. You can find them at applin.com, and we have worked with them uh, quite a bit through the years. And they have a, this, this gift for finding talent that you can't find on your own. And in fact, uh, our Edmonton practice director, Jennifer Ovalson, she is a shining star, and she's been with us for about nine months. And David Applin found her for us, and I know they could do the same for your firm. And thank you as well to our audience. And we're just so grateful that the audience continues to grow amidst increasing demands on everybody's times and schedules. A very uh, a challenging time for, uh, for a lot of us and our families and our colleagues. And we really appreciate this, uh, this hour every Thursday that we get to get together and talk about what's going on in our lives and in our businesses. And hopefully uh, this show, at least in some small way, is helping make uh, navigating this current environment a little easier. Now on with today's episode, so we're joined by Kim Cameron, and Kim Cameron became interested in positive organizational scholarship as a result of a decade's worth of studying the consequences of organizational downsizing. He started seeing that organizations characterized by virtuous practices such as forgiveness, compassion, integrity, trust, optimism, and kindness tended to avoid the declining performance that is often associated with downsizing. So observing this effect led to a variety of empirical studies that Kim led on the effects of positive leadership and organizational virtuousness on organizational performance. Cameron's research has been identified as among the top 10 social science scholars in the world and being downloaded in Google and all sorts of other places. Uh, reports of his work have appeared in 15 scholarly books and more than 140 academic articles. His latest, or the latest books where his work's been referenced include the Oxford Handbook of Positive Organizational Scholarship uh, and Positive Leadership by Barrett Keeler and Practicing Positive Leadership also by Barrett Keeler. And a little uh, fact about, uh, fun fact about Kim is he's been to the Calgary Stampede as a child. So I thought that was pretty cool. So Kim, welcome to the program today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me uh, join this really exciting program. I mean, you're doing really great work. Well, and it's thank just you. nice to be a part. Well, we're, uh, we're thrilled that you thought that. I mean, I remember reaching out to you in the summer and crossing my fingers that I was even gonna, just gonna get a reply. And so the fact that we're here today really means a lot. And, and your work, um, your work, I, I, there's so many things that I like about it, and, and part of it is that it's very much about treating people in a way that we want to be treated, but the other part of it is that uh, there can be a tendency when we talk about culture, and, and at least in some pockets, where it sounds Pollyanna and sugar-coated and sort of airy-fairy, and, and, and it doesn't really actually translate to the bottom line, and it's really good that the research is actually starting to uh, say otherwise, and so you bring this very empathetic approach 
but it's also based in research. And so I think there's something for everybody in this, in this episode, and, and I'm excited to explore that with you. And, uh, and maybe where we'll start, Kim, is in your book, you suggest that a lot of organizations, unbeknownst to them, are pursuing stability, steadiness, and predictability with our business systems. And I guess what's wrong with that? So it's a good, uh, it's a good way to start, uh, Jeff. <clears throat> we have, when we think about organizations, the word organization or organizing normally means that we're trying to reduce variance. We're trying to get rid of anything that's unpredictable and, and aberration from the norm. I mean, that's the reason we organize. Um, you know, if we're in a big organization or a big room and everybody's sort of uh, wandering around, as soon as somebody calls their attention to everybody focus, everybody organize, then we can get things done. So for the most part, organizations are in the business, by definition, of reducing variance. That's fine, except that it also eliminates the opportunity for what we refer to as positive deviance. I mean, extraordinary, spectacular performance. Because that's always resisted. Like any deviance is negative deviance is resisted. Positive deviance is resisted. So being stable, being predictable is fine. It is fine. It's just that you're never going to be extraordinary, spectacular. And that's what we try to focus on. That is, how do you help an organization get from, we're doing fine, thank you very much. We're making money. We're okay to we're extraordinary, we're spectacular, the we're the best we can imagine. In fact, we've exceeded aspirations. That's what positive leadership is focused on attempting to help organizations achieve. Got it. And, and Kim, uh, that's, that's the thing I think that really should be compelling people to learn about the research that you've conducted and, and the institute that you've co-founded because this is all about extraordinary performance. It's about getting the best out of our people. Uh, it, it's about creating a climate where our competitors basically can't touch us. And, and it, it is, it's a phenomenal, uh, it's, it really is a phenomenal and an impactful topic. Now, this is uh, such a gap in the marketplace that you actually co-founded the Center for Positive Organizations. Can you explain a little bit for everyone tuning in what the center does and what it's all about? Sure. The center uh, is a, based at the University of Michigan, and it's simply an organization that attempts to help organizations achieve several things. One is achieve positive, what we call positive deviance, extraordinary performance. Uh, let me, and I'm going to stop there just a minute. <clears throat> See, almost all research focuses on what we refer to as problems or deficit gaps. I mean, think of a continuum. On the left-hand side, anchored on by negative deviance, problems, difficulties. On the right-hand side, anchored by spectacular, extraordinary, positive deviance. And in the middle is normal, absent deviance. Okay, 90% of medical research focuses on the gap between the left-hand side and the middle. That is, on the left-hand side is illness, got heart disease, got the flu, got COVID. 90% of research is gonna to try to get you to the middle, absent illness. Psychologically, 95% of psychological research does the same. That is depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, stress. As soon as I'm absent those uh, negatives, that is, I'm in the middle of the curve, I'm absent problems or difficulties, that's essentially where research stops. Organizations uh, do the same thing. In business schools, you get a handed a case study. What's the problems? What are the obstacles? What are the difficulties? 
come up with some recommendations and defend yourself. That is, we're making money, we're right in the middle. Very little attention is spent on the right-hand side. How do you get to be spectacular, extraordinary? Physically, it would be Olympic fitness levels, the ability to do 400 push-ups. Psychologically, a state of flow. Organizationally, extraordinary, spectacular performance. That's where we focus because it gets so little attention. Got it. And so in the medical profession, the research is trying to just get people to a, 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 a bare th a threshold, a minimum acceptable threshold of, of health. What, yep. is, is it the same in business? Like is, is, so is business research largely focused on the same thing? Same thing. That is, on the I'm thinking that, of that deviance continuum again. On the left-hand side, we're not making money, ethical problems, customers aren't satisfied, lots of complaints. As soon as we're in the middle, haha, we're profitable. Yeah, we got market share. We're strategically positioned. We're, you know, we're we are satisfying our customers and so on. How do you go from there to, holy cow, we are not only, for example, ethical, we're virtuous. We're not only satisfying customers. We have lifelong loyalty. Even if they if they have options, they choose. They don't choose somebody else. They choose us. Instead of profitability, we're to the point where we can actually be generous and altruistic. The world can change because what we're doing. Uh, and financially, and so on. That is, it's way different than, okay, we're doing fine, thank you very much. Yeah, that's great. So we're not just talking about surviving today. We're actually really talking about the, the tools and the principles, the habits and the behaviors that will take our organizations to a thriving destination. Okay. Exactly. And, and so you have, you've been, you've been um, able to distill this down into a, in, into a, a fairly straightforward set of principles, but what, and you define that as, as positive leadership. So Kim, can you clarify, like, what is positive leadership? Yeah, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good, uh, good question. And I wish there was actually a really precise answer. Um, because positive leadership can be identified as a set of behaviors. And sometimes we refer to those behaviors as virtuous behaviors. I mean, uh, articulating and institutionalizing in the organization gratitude and generosity and integrity and forgiveness and compassion and so on. That's one way to think about positive leaders. Another is positive leaders are people who have an affirmative bias. They tend to look at the positive as opposed to the negative. Just before we were starting, we talked about this really interesting research um, that illustrates that point. So if, if an authority figure, somebody you know, tells you that if you don't make a change in your life, you're going to die. You will not make it till next summer. You've got to change or you'll be dead. Question is, what percent of people, given those conditions, you know that this person's an expert, what, what percent of those people will make the change? Answer, 11%, one out of nine. That is, a cardiovascular specialist, a heart specialist says, you got to stop smoking, you got to exercise, you got to change your diet, or you will not last till summer. 11% will change. However, if you change that, and say, instead of saying you're going to die, watch out. If instead you say, look, I want to help you walk down the aisle with your son when he gets married. I want to help you see your son graduate from high school. I want to have your daughter, I want to have you see your daughter, you know, excel in her college program. I want to help you see something spectacular. Then I get 60% that will change. I'm still not 100. People would rather die than change. 
but I get if I change it to a positive, I get a, I get six times more people who will actually follow through and make the change in their lives. So that's a so affirmative bias means leaders are attempting to get the organization to focus on attractions moving forward, making a difference as opposed to uh, just avoiding problems or solving problems, or maybe in addition to solving problems. Yeah, that's, uh, that's disconcerting. I would have guessed higher than 11%. I was, gonna, I was thinking 40 or 50% maybe. Uh, I'd be curious what the audience thought about that too. Now, you even say that so positive leadership uh, can have a big impact in environments that are really struggling. And, and I think that that's a very applicable example right now. I mean, businesses are challenged all of the time, but but more business are ch- more businesses are challenged right now, given uh, uh, some economic yeah. factors that are, might be regionally located, and then of course the global the global impact of pandemic. And so, you talk about an example in a hospital that was uh, experiencing downsizing and hemorrhaging millions of dollars and having to cut costs, and they were able to apply this to get on the top 100 best places to work. And I thought that was an that was an example. It seemed too good to be true, Kim. Maybe let's go. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So uh, this hospital uh, is an interesting is in an interesting market. It's in Connecticut. The Yale New Haven Hospital is the eight hundred pound gorilla. I mean, if you're going to have a baby, if you got a problem, you're probably going to go Yale New Haven. They're located in Derby, Connecticut. So this little town. And the question is, well, why, how would how would that hospital stay in business? And make money. Well, there's a guy um, who was the director of operations. His name is Pat Charmel, who was um, probably the best leader in the organization. But the CEO and the president ended up firing Pat Charmel. The employees uh, went berserk. I mean, they protested. They they uh, wrote letters, all kinds of things. You've got to hire back Pat Charmel. He was their best leader. The board of directors or board of uh, uh, yeah board of directors didn't respond. So the, uh, a whole set of employees actually crashed the board meeting, walked in unannounced, demanding that they hire back Pat Charmel. And they said, by the way, since the CEO and the president were the ones that fired him, you got to get rid of them instead. The board caved in and did that very thing, hired back Pat Charmel, gave him the the uh, title of CEO and president. Now, the trouble is that one of the first things Pat did was to do a survey of patients, of customers. And as it turns out, the worst rating in the entire area was, uh, in terms of uh, the preferred hospital to which these people would go, was his hospital called Griffin Hospital. It It received the bottom scores. We would avoid Griffin at all costs. And particularly, they were going to, they had low scores in the OBGYN department. That is, we're going to have a baby, we're not coming to you. So he decided, all right, we've got to get serious about changing this place. And they did all kinds of interesting, uh, innovative things. Number one is he had to do some downsizing. I mean, there's a whole story about that. But he was absolutely honest, straightforward, compassionate, um, I mean, there was all kinds of uh, forgiving, generous, loving kinds of activities that were being done, um, including, for example, in the OBGYN ward, he uh, got queen-size beds for mothers to sleep in so that when their husband was there, he could be in bed with them as opposed to in a chair waiting for the baby to be born. 
jacuzzis. That was the first time anybody had ever put jacuzzis in a hospital room for pregnant women who were getting ready to deliver, and all kinds of interesting things. Well, uh, many, many practices. The result of that was not only the, in the Fortune Best 100 companies to work for for 10 consecutive years, no hospital has ever achieved that kind of result. They got an award for the top 1% winner of the Healthcare Alliance Award. They, got, they, were, they were identified as the Distinguished Hospital for Clinical Excellence. They were honored as the, for a Distinctive Leadership Award. They won a Platinum Innovation Prize. I mean, you could argue this is among the best hospitals in the country. I mean, it's this little hospital in, in Derby, Connecticut. Because, and, and as we interviewed people and as Port interviewed Pat himself, positive leadership was the core, was the root upon which he decided that, that Griffin would move forward. And it was a pretty, pretty spectacular uh, outcome. Now, you might say, okay, hospitals, I mean, you know, people are caring for each other, that's kind of what their business is. But as it turns out, many other stories, one of, the, one of the most dramatic is in financial services. I mean, in financial services, you got one goal, show me the money. Well, as it turns out, uh, Prudential Financial is the example. Prudential Financial said, um, look, our retirement business is floundering. If we don't merge with another company, we will go out of business. And it's problematic because retirement business is where people put their money. So if your retirement business is struggling, you're in trouble. Well, Prudential decided to merge with Cigna Retirement. Now that's like merging the Yankees and the Red Sox. One in Boston, one in New York. They were bitter enemies, but they had to do it. Well, the CEO of Cigna became the CEO of the merged company, assuming it's gonna be really tough. His name was John Kim. Uh, I, I won't quote John, but I'm gonna come pretty close to what he said in interviews. He said, look, um, we have to uh, we have to change our entire culture of this organization. And what we've decided is this is this is a process. It's not a result. And what we're going to do is base everything we do on this notion of positive leadership. And so he said. In fact, the the primary goal he said for himself was, we want our customers. Uh, to, to rate us as the best in the technical aspects of our business in the entire industry. But then he said, by succeeding above all understanding, I mean, how's that for an aspiration? We want to be so good, nobody can understand how we got that way. And he said, we're, we're not going to specify what people do. And in fact, he said, we're just going to turn them loose. And he said, what's happened now is I can't even control what's, what's going on. People are doing things now that are self-perpetuating, that are extraordinary. Well, the result of that was not only a successful merger, they kept 95% of their clients. Annual growth rate was 20%, four times above industry average. Um, the satisfaction and employee, employee uh, scores on, on the test, I mean, employee satisfaction scores went up markedly. It's now the largest unit in financial services and prudential financial services. And the, maybe the key was when John Kim left, became the president of the world's largest insurance company, they didn't, they didn't miss a beat. That's often, oh, that's the test. Is this a program of the month or is this going to last? Didn't miss a beat. They continued that same trajectory. That is, 
even in places where you'd say, nobody cares about the soft, soupy, syrupy, saccharine, sweet stuff, even in those places, bingo, bottom line results go up. Yeah. And, and Kim, I think you, partly you're addressing uh, you know, Jim Collins, part of his research there, the difference between those, those organizations that seem to endure and outperform the uh, industry indexes uh, had level five leaders, not level four. And it sounds a little bit like that. So these are a couple of good stories, I think, to set the tone. One of the things, though, I think that that's a bit of a concern for many of us that are trying to run our own businesses is we look at those examples and say, well, you know, the environment was just such for them that they were able to achieve those kinds of outcomes. There's a, there's a lot of luck involved. I don't know how to take that and replicate it in my business. And that's, that is really what I love about the research that you do is you've actually been able to distill that down into some constructs and, and some really quantifiable things that we can do in our businesses to try to create those kinds of results. So what, um, what are the four elements that really comprise positive leadership, uh, judging from the research? Yeah, so uh, in, this, in this book, we've, uh, this, this, by the way, this slide you're seeing is, this, is just an illustration of what I mentioned earlier with regard to the deviance continuum. On the left-hand side is negative deviance. In the middle is where most organizations attempt to be. Right-hand side, virtuousness, we refer to that as abundance gaps. That's where positive leadership focuses, trying to help organizations go from being fine, satisfactory, normal, to spectacular and extraordinary. The four uh, elements that we've identified, at least were identified in this positive leadership book, uh, and there are others, of course, but four that have to be in place are, one is what are, what's called positive climate. There has to be essentially more positive energy displayed than negative energy. There has to be more people who have positive emotions uh, feeling good about their organization than not. So there's a lot of ways to think about creating uh, a positive environment. And in the book, we talk about institutionalizing in an organization gratitude practices and compassion practices and forgiveness and integrity and so on so that's one a second has to do and no surprise these are these are not surprising at all these four second one it has to do with positive relationships that is how do you foster how do you create relationships where that other people flourish as a result of uh, being together. And there's a whole bunch of work, of course, on positive relationships. Anyway, that's another one. A third has to do with positive communication. How do you send messages? Especially how do you deliver negative feedback or corrective feedback, or at least not positive feedback in a way that builds a relationship as opposed to destroys or in inhibits a relationship? See, most of the time when you give negative feedback, one of two things will happen. Either one, defensiveness, people feel attacked, or what's called disconfirmation, they'll feel worthless. They'll feel, uh, you know, I must be terrible. And, and either one of those, the first one you fight, and the other one you flight, you know. Well, how do you overcome that? So that's positive communication. And the last one, or not the last one, but a fourth one is, Positive meaning, profound purpose. Is there something more important to what I'm doing than just my own uh, paycheck or just my own popularity or just my own title? 
So meaningfulness is, um, is the fourth. So those four things, and if you put those in a formula, there would be a multiplication sign between each element. That is, if anyone is zero, then positive deviance, extraordinary performance is also zero. You gotta have all four. Yeah. So I'm, and I'm really just interested in this notion of closing this abundance gap that you refer to. It's a term I hadn't heard before. And I think it's, I think it's powerful. So there's four things. There's positive climate. Number one, positive uh, relationships is number two. Number three is positive communication. Number four is positive meeting. So in, in the positive climate piece, you did, you referenced, uh, you know, gratitude exercises and things like that. What are a couple, what would be like a couple of tips or suggestions that you would have for how a leader could start to create a more positive climate or, or even understand if you have one to begin with? Yeah, great. So uh, let me just give a few hints. These are kind of like 1% changes. Um, in fact, let me take a side trip uh, very quickly, Jeff. I often, when organizations come to me or when I have an opportunity to be with some senior team, I'll often suggest to them that at least they start just with a 1% improvement. You don't have to transform, you don't have to revolutionize, start with 1%, but here's why that's important. So if you get in uh, an airplane, say in, uh, I don't know about Calgary, but let's say Washington, DC. <laughs> If I get an airplane in Washington, D.C., I go around the world, but I'm off one degree. I end up south of Atlanta, north of Bangor, Maine. It does not take much change over time to put you in a very different place. So pick 1%, stick with it. It'll change over time in pretty dramatic ways. So you put multiple 1% and it's, and it's easy to implement, not much resistance. All right, so what are some one percenters? with regard to positive climate. Well, I know some organizations, for example, who have handed every single employee a journal. And they essentially said, this is your gratitude journal. We want every single employee in our company to keep a gratitude journal. That is right down the three best things that happened to you today. Or I know a, a CEO of an organization, happens to be LG in Korea. Every single day, he had his secretary put on his desk five cards. On one side of the card is printed thank you. On the other side is blank. He said, I've assigned myself every single day to write five gratitude or uh, congratulations or recognition cards to five employees in my organization. That was 10 years ago or so. And I saw him within a year or two ago. And I, I asked him, are you still doing that? He said, absolutely. It changed my whole culture, at least the whole culture of the top end of that organization. And this CEO is writing five cards every day. Uh, this, the CEO of Campbell Soup, North American company, didn't write five every day, he wrote one note every day to somebody in his organization. After 17 years as a CEO, he was gonna retire, and one of his assistants had noticed as he went around the company that many of those notes were on bulletin boards, they were framed, they were under the glass in your desk and so on. He decided, as part of the legacy or part of the celebration for this retiring CEO, he would count the number of notes that still existed. So he went through the entire company, 7,000 notes still existed that this person had written. So gratitude is just one of those uh, ideas that you can implement to create a positive climate. And there are others. I, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm talking too much, but 
No, that's good. Right. And, 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 there, and the thing that strikes me, Kim, about those examples is how simple they are. Like you, one percent. Anybody can do that, and yeah, the one percent piece for sure. Now, what about so the second category, positive climate, or sorry, positive relationships? It, under that under that heading, you talk about uh, all companies have positive energizers and they have negative energizers, and we probably have an idea of what those might look like. But what is a positive energi- energizer? So the mo- the 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 most simple straightforward definition of a positively energizing leader is borrowed actually borrowed from the sixth president of the united states which means about 1800 (laughs) it's been around a while and i've modified it a bit but a statement is essentially this if your actions inspire others to dream more do more become more learn more that means you're a positively energizing leader. That is, those are people who simply lift others, help them get better. That is, they add, um, they add energy to the system. In my academic department, we have three criteria we use to hire faculty members. You gotta be a world-class scholar, no surprise, in all research universities, everybody wants those. You gotta be a good teacher, everybody wants those. Number three is the differentiator. You have to be a net positive energizer. You have to add more positive energy to the system than you extract, which means we don't hire self-aggrandizing curmudgeons, people who only care about getting credit, want to make sure they're they're, uh, on the top of the list. Those people don't come here. So I have 15 faculty members helping me get better every day. That's a positive, among other things, it's a positively energizing leader. And in the organizations that you have researched and, and come across that are able to achieve this level of uh, exceptional performance over a long period of time, is there a number, like is there a percentage of positive energizers that an organization needs to have to achieve that type of success? That's a good question. Some of the research we've done is research on what we refer to as density. Now, what does that mean? So we one of the ways you measure positive energy and the extent to which you have it is you simply ask every single person, for example, let's take a top management team. And I had a CEO of a big company come to me and say, I want to know the extent to which I have positive energizers in my top 40. This is a big international firm, top 40 senior executives. So we simply had every single person in in that top 40 rate every other single person's relationship. That is, when I interact with Jeff, what happens to my energy? Am I uplifted, elevated? Is he life-giving? Or is he exhausting, depleting, just sucks the life out of me? So I'm rating the relationship. It's called relational energy. I'm rating the relationship between me and every other person. Okay. Well, excuse me. As it turns out, um, the more, the more dense the relationships. That is, the more each one of those is a positively energizing connection, the higher the performance. That is, everybody can be an energizer to everybody else. That's not the case most of the time. But the more the better is the point. So there's not a magic number. It's just that the more dense, the, the more positive energy, more positive energizing relationships, the higher the performance. It's a pretty good uh, uh, curve up, upwards. You know. 
And so what do we do when we, when we start to uncover that we've got all these positive energizers in the organization, because not all of them even exist in leadership positions. Yep. Are there some things that we should be doing to amplify their voices and their influence as an example? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and it's really important. We often will in an organization, we, I've done this in several organizations and that is in a big, there's a big multinational organization. It's the largest university consortium in the world. With they own universities in Central and South America, New Zealand, Australia, Europe, India, Africa, and so on. We ask this, the presidents, the chancellors of all these organizations to come together, and they decided that positive leadership would be the basis upon which their strategy going forward would be based. We asked them to identify positive energizers in their various regions. There are 12 regions around the world. We brought those, they, they, they identified 46. They brought the, we brought those 46 people together, taught them some practices and uh, philosophy about what positive leadership is all about, gave them a whole bunch of options and tools and so on. Then, and this is directly now to your question, we gave them a 90 in 90 challenge. What does that mean? We said, we want you to infect 90% of this organization. That's 135,000 staff members. We want you to infect 90% of that organization with positive leadership in 90 days, a 90 and 90 challenge. We turned them loose. There's no prescription. There's no set of, you do these four steps in a row. It rather is, here's the philosophy. Here's a whole bunch of options. Go do it. It was among the most inspiring activities. You cannot imagine what they did. I mean, they were made t-shirts and mugs and cups and all kinds of contests. And I mean, big meetings and small meetings, 96% of that 135,000 person organization had been infected in 90 days. Infected means you have to be able to teach or explain what positive energy is. And you have to have attempted a 1% change. I mean, 120,000 hours of training that they conducted on their own. It was great. Yeah, that's remarkable. And we have to uh, be careful with using the word infection these days, but that sounds like a very, uh, a, very, a very good way to use it. The third, uh, the third principle that you talk about, Kim, is positive communication. So can, can you maybe let us know, so what's like the difference as an example between, you talk about evaluative communication and descriptive communication, and one of them is yeah. more powerful. Can you maybe elaborate on that? Sure, thanks, Jeff. It's, it's easy to talk nice, to be positive, to be up, to be friendly, when you're around people who are doing things you want them to do, and when you have close relationships, and when things are going well, when they're not going so well. You know, when there's a pandemic, when there's loss, when there's grieving, when there's a conflict, and, and, and sometimes really caustic, angry conflict, the question is how in the world do we create an organization that can flourish given those circumstances? Well, there is one, there's a, multiple tools. Here's one of them that's especially helpful. Uh, it's simply called descriptive rather than, rather than evaluative communication. The umbrella term is supportive communication. We're being supportive of one another, even when we have to correct behavior or give negative feedback. So the tool is as follows. If I need to give you feedback that's negative, uh, 
because of something you've done or something you've said. Step number one is describe as objectively as possible what just occurred. That is, you interrupted me several times. I noticed that you uh, are, have been really critical of the secretaries on the floor. I, I, that is, I noticed that here's what you said that's, that, protect, that would uh, affected them negatively. That is, as objectively as I can, what just happened. Second step, here's the consequence, or here's the result, or here's my reaction. When you interrupted me, it just loses the train of thought. It sucks the energy out of the room. It was, it was a difficult, difficult situation in our room. The meeting was disrupted. Or the secretaries had to huddle together to keep each other from crying or something. Now, there's no reason to argue about here's what happened. It's objective. Number two is here's the consequence or here's my feeling about it. it really upset me. Step three. Here's an alternative that would be more acceptable. Here's an option that would not create those negative consequences. So now we end up talking about what's an acceptable option rather than you're right or you're wrong, you're good or you're bad, you're a jerk or you're not. That is, it's not evaluating somebody. You're wrong, it's your fault, it's your problem. That's evaluation. Descriptive is here's what I, here's what I saw you do. Here's the consequence. Here's a suggested alternative. Now, there's lots more to say about that, but it's just one little tool that ends up being really easily implemented and effective. Yeah, well, and I'm glad that you brought it up because I think that that is a common objection to why people don't want to jump on this platform in greater numbers, at least in certain pockets. It's, it's this, I think, this misunderstanding that positive leadership means that you don't have any constru constructive uh, feedback. You don't have any coaching. You don't have any friction, or, or you don't confront non-compliance, and it's just not not the case. So, so uh, so thank you for sharing that. And then, is there another step after that, Kim? So you've had that conversation. How do you follow up and ensure there's some accountability in a positive organization for change? Yeah, yeah, that, and that's crucial. Accountability is always an uh, extraordinarily important outcome in making any kind of change. I mean, the idea that change is sustainable only if it's measured. Change is sustainably only if there's some kind of accountability. Now, there's a principle. And the principle is that when you make change, I mean, I, for example, uh, I have a good friend who decided that she wanted to lose a lot of weight, big, uh, I mean, a, a big number of pounds. Had I simply said to her, go for it, girl, I'm really on your side, you know, let me know if you need some help. The probability she had lost that much weight was very low. So after I identify what the change is, what the goal is, there's got to be a second step, which is identify very specific, sort of 1% small wins, small action steps. For her, there were probably 20 of those. You can't shop before dinner. You can't shop without a menu. You can't carry any more than a dollar in your purse because you can take the bus to work. You can't buy a McDonald's hamburger. I guess you can, but uh, not enough money to do anything with. Somebody called her up every morning at seven o'clock, showed up and they exercised for half an hour, <clears throat> excuse me, and so on. A whole bunch 
of small little incremental steps. So at the end of the day, I've succeeded, I've succeeded, I've succeeded. But then here's the key, and it's directly to your point. Everybody is an expert at figuring out ways why I don't have to really change. I'm too tired today, I'm sick, I'm not feeling really well, I stayed up too late last night. I don't think I'll do the, I'm not gonna exercise today or something. So the third principle is accountability. You gotta maintain accountability. And the principle is, it has to be more difficult to fail than to succeed. Now, what does that mean? For her, she went to, the, uh, to her boss and she said, look, here's my goal. I'm gonna lose a certain amount of weight by the end of the year. If I, haven't, uh, if I haven't lost a certain amount of weight three months from now, cut my salary 10%. If I haven't lost a certain amount of weight six months from now, cut my salary 20%. If I haven't lost the total amount of weight at the end of the year, cut my salary 50%. He said, are you serious? She said, I'm absolutely serious. He said, okay, we redid the contract. I mean, more expensive to fail yeah. than to succeed. And multiple, I mean, probably yeah. had 10 of those. Yeah. And so on. In other words, without accountability, you're just going to spin. You're not going to get it done. So have those tough conversations in a timely fashion and, and definitely have an accountability rhythm. And the, the fourth principle is positive meaning, Kim, your reference. And, and, I, and I think that a lot of us, uh, and especially the, the leaders that we hang out with uh, predominantly, understand this notion that people do better work when they can that when they can connect it to a deeper meaning, it's not just about themselves, but there are some, there are some other pieces in your research that you've uncovered that I thought were very, very interesting. And one of the, one of the things that you talk about in your book under positive meaning is the difference between contribution goals and yeah. self-interest goals and how yeah. most companies focus on self-interest goals. And we're sort of shooting ourselves in the foot without knowing it. So what's the difference and why are contribution goals so much more impactful? Yeah. So that's, I'm going to tell you this study, I'm going to tell you two or three studies if I can to illustrate this principle because it's so counterintuitive to what most organizations do. So I have a colleague who in the psychology department here did the following study. She took entering freshmen at the University of Michigan, asked them to identify their goals for the year. Some people, well, she divided the goals into two types. One type was called achievement goals. I want to get good grades, I want a girlfriend, I want to make the team. The other kind of goal was called contribution goals. I want to make a difference, I want to have something get better because of what I've done. Everybody has both kinds of goals, but some are dominated by one, some are dominated by the other. So she put people in two groups, depending on which one was dominant. And then the study was she followed these students for one year, measuring things like what their grade point average was, what their test scores were at the end of each semester, cognitive factors how well they got along with the roommates, uh, how many times they made a club office or something, social factors, how many minor physiological symptoms they experienced, got the flu, got headache, got cramps, missed class. On every single dimension, contribution goals were far more predictive of success than were achievement goals. That is what they contributed to other was, others were more important than what they got. That's sort of confirmed by a study of multiple sclerosis patients, half of whom were assigned to receive a phone call every week, having somebody express love, support, and concern for them. The other half of these people were assigned to place a phone call once a week to somebody else expressing love, support, and concern to them. Two years later, they measured physical activity, well-being, self-efficacy, hope, depression, other factors. Eight-fold difference in the result. 
those people who placed the phone call were eight times healthier than those people who received the phone call. And there are multiple studies. I, I, those are only two of maybe uh, eight or nine that I've got in my head. That is what happens is contributing to the benefit of somebody else will redound to your benefit without expecting a return. See, yeah. you don't have to be kind to somebody in order to get a return. Yeah. In fact, if I'm kind only to get a return, it's not kindness, it's manipulation. So doing something for somebody else elevates the outcomes that you want. Yeah, and that, yeah, and that, that, that was a bit of a shift for me because I think, uh, I think a lot of leaders, myself included, focus a lot on recognition, thinking that as we recognize people, that will prop up the culture and make sure people understand how valued they are. And that, again, will, will lead to good outcomes for everybody involved. And so this notion that contribution is more predictive of success than recognition, I think that's pretty profound. Kim, you also reference a lot of different tools in your book, and, and one of those tools is what we call the, uh, the reflected best self exercise. And I won't get into that one too much today, but I do want to tell you that we, for um, one of our colleagues' birthdays in February, we, we gifted her the reflected best self exercise. And for those of you hearing about it for the first time, it's basically an exercise where people that know you really well, personally and professionally, have to tell stories in a survey of when they saw you at your best. And then Kim's team uh, compiles those results and puts it into a report that you can then read and get a really good depiction of how other people view you when they think you're at your best. And so we had a colleague that just completed it yesterday. She read through the report and she sent us the most incredible email last night thanking us for this gift. And you created it, but it left her feeling so uh, appreciated, so confident, uh, and uh, felt like she was in her sweet spot and that she's found her life's meaning. And that was just from a simple survey. And so it's powerful. And, and so I, I highly recommend that people look that up on your website and, and take a look at that. I know it's going in the notes right now. The other tool that you talk about, which I think is going to force people to look at their calendars and see if they've got time to do this, but you, um, you, you call it the PMI, the personal management interview. And you suggest that we should be getting together with our key employees once a month. Can you talk about that exercise really quickly? Because I want people to understand what that is. You bet. A PMI, personal management interview process, it's not, that, that title may not be great, is not performance appraisal. It's not end of the year evaluation. It's not any of those. It supplements that kind of thing. Yeah. So it end, ends up being, <clears throat> excuse me, a developmental uh, kind of an activity where the major goals of this development act, developmental activity are continuous improvement. That is, I meet, and I've done this now for the last 35 or 40 years, and we have yeah. research yes, that performance goes up again markedly. But the goals are, number one is there has to be some, the needle has to move. As a result of our meeting, our performance will go up, yours and mine. Yeah. An opportunity to identify accountability. What are we accountable for? How do we do? It's a mechanism to foster that. It's an opportunity to create more psychological safety. That is, here's what your performance uh, uh, expectations are, but I want you to know that uh, you've got as much latitude and as much room as you need to succeed. We're not, we're not going to come down hard on you as a result yeah. of this as a result of having you do experiments and so on. It's a mechanism that's not easily described in, in two minutes, but it's a mechanism to help other people flourish. 
It's just one more positive leadership tool that people can use to help their entire organization get better. Yeah, and it's a good tool, and, and it's outlined very, very clearly and thoroughly in your book, which I highly recommend. Now, we are giving away copies of your book at the end of the show. We are also making available, you have a predictive indicator that, uh, that leaders can fill out that's going to show how likely their company is to move past the average and mediocrity and status quo area into moving into filling that abundance gap. And so thank you for making that available, Kim, uh, for people that have tuned in today. That's in the bonus material. Uh, and the biggest complaint that I get from leaders is they don't have time to do all this stuff. And, and I think when you really take a hard look at some of these tools, like the monthly check-in with your key employees, the time that it saves you is greater than the time that it takes you if you do it properly, but you have to commit to this change. You have to believe there's a better way. And, uh, and it's not easy. I recognize that, but thank you for, uh, for, sh for sharing that stool, or that stool, that tool. <laughs> thank you for sharing that tool. It certainly is kind of a stool, I guess it's a step up in our leadership capabilities. So that's fair. Now uh, we talked Kim about uh, how do you get started then? So you've talked about these four uh, principles of positive leadership and there's a lot there. Now, if I'm tuning in today, I think the thing I want to know most is what can I do in the next 30 days to just take a 1% step? And, and uh, so what are a few things that people tuning into this episode could do as a result of what they're learning here from you? So I'll mention three. One is there are a lot of gratitude practices. There's a whole bunch of research that says writing a gratitude letter to somebody, even if you don't mail it, has a redounds to a real has a big impact on heart rhythms, brain rhythms, all kinds of physiological activities. Not to mention organization. So a bunch of gratitude practices, contribution practices. That is making a difference to somebody else. I'll tell this really quick story about this uh, executive who has a little daughter, you know, five or six or so years old, who hated going to school. She'd hang onto her mom's leg and. Mommy, I don't want to go. And it just ripping the heart right out of her mom. But her mom had to drop her off. So she went to the teacher and the teacher said, well, look, why don't you ask her to tell you the best thing that happened today in school? So the mother thought, well, that would be better, you know. So little girl came home. She asked her the best thing. It kind of worked, but it was not really a big deal. So the mother changed the question. She said, what's the best thing you did for somebody today? This little girl just got excited about that. Every, every day her mother would say, tell me the best thing that you did for somebody today. It was a big deal for her, but the payoff was they went to Disney World. They went in the restroom. There was a cleaning lady in the restroom. And they're kind of in the way. They're violating your privacy. I mean, nobody likes cleaning ladies in the restroom. But this little girl went up to this woman and said, I hope you have a magical day today. This woman started to cry. She said, I've worked here for 14 years. Nobody has ever said to me, I hope you have a magical day. And this mom said, that was the key. Just making a contribution. This changed this whole, whole uh, this little girl's whole life. So that's another. And then there are a bunch of positive energy practices. We talked a little bit about that. Uh, but uh, without without uh, going into detail, one of them is simply to be an energizer. And one of the ways to do that, this is airport bookstore advice, but one of the ways to do that is to simply smile. My, my wife was told when she was a teenager, you know, in repose, you look angry. So you got to worry about, think about changing the, up, the, the facial expression on your face. Just look pleasant. I mean, that's, that's so simple, but it's, it, it actually is important. 
Yeah, well, they, they are simple, Kim. Uh, very simple, but very powerful. And I want to thank you for joining us today. And, and uh, the work that you're doing, again, is just having such an impact on, on the way that people view leadership, how they show up for people, the way that we build uh, our organizations. And it's kind of reassuring to know that the simple things in life of just being kind to somebody and intentionally making somebody seen and heard and validated and making sure that we're taking time to build those kind of relationships inside of our businesses actually does transcend to the bottom line. We can have it all. We literally can. And so I want to thank you for your research and for your generosity of time today. We're very grateful um, that you did join us. And uh, we're, as I said earlier, we are going to make uh, some bonus materials available. And we're excited to announce that we have a new page on our website featuring Unleashed. All the episodes, all the blog posts uh, summarizing those episodes. And you can find it on our website at unleashedresults.com. Please stay connected with Kim uh, Cameron. And you can find him on LinkedIn. And he's, uh, he's active there. And he gets back to you in a timely fashion. And then if we didn't have time to get to some of your questions or you have some additional thoughts about the show or today's episode, you can find us at info at unleashedresults.com. And in terms of the bonus material, uh, we are giving away copies of Kim's book. So if you, uh, if you click uh, continue and go into the bonus area afterwards and provide us with your thoughts on the show as well, you will be entered into that draw automatically to win a copy of Kim's book. And we are making that survey available as well. So he has a predictive indicator that's going to tell you whether your company is headed for mediocrity or worse or you're headed for the right side of that curve and filling that abundance gap to extraordinary performance with an extraordinary culture. And Kim is making that uh, predictive index available at no cost today. So we'll make sure we get that administered to you in a timely fashion. And then I hope that you can join us two weeks from now. So we're taking a week break and we're coming back though for our season finale with David C. Baker. He is highly regarded uh, in particular in North America as one of the leading marketing experts and in particular how you position your business within the marketplace to sell. And he has got a bunch of thoughts. He's very opinionated. And unfortunately, he thinks that most of us are doing marketing wrong. And he's going to set us straight on December 3rd. And note the time change, 11 a.m. instead of 10 a.m. Mountain Time. It's our last episode, December 3rd, before the holiday season. Thank you for everybody joining us today. And uh, Kim, if you've, if you've done anything here, I think it's the, the notion that a 1% change can have transformational impacts. And just uh, holding on to that notion in terms of our own influence on other people, we all have the power to make extraordinary impacts on other people's lives when we're in a position of leadership. So thank you for reminding us of that today and very much appreciate your time. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome.